there was a recent Department of Energy study that showed 19 states in the US have enough wind capacity to, you know, to fuel all of their electricity demands. So you've got this amazing resource. In fact, there's seven times more power in in offshore wind than we would than we can consume in the whole of Louisiana. So it just shows that that, that potential for offshore wind is there. Not without its problem statements like we talked about earlier, but it's that's the that's what we want to shoot for. You know, it's having an absolute limitless energy economy. Welcome to the Blue Economy Primer, a New Orleans-based podcast where you learn from the experts the practical tools and solution sets that will empower your community to adapt and thrive in a new blue era of rising seas and economic discontinuity. Special thanks to the Dan Lucas Memorial Foundation and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for their financial and institutional support of Deep Blue Academy's education and research initiatives. On today's episode, we are speaking with a key leader of the rapidly expanding and critical renewable energy sector in New Orleans and on the Gulf Coast. James, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yeah, um, I'm James Martin. I'm the CEO of Gulf Wind Technology. Um, I've been here in the city of New Orleans since the end of 2010. And um, as you can probably hear, I'm, uh, I'm uh, from England originally and uh, became a citizen um, a few years ago. So very proud of that. Fantastic. It's good to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from? Sure thing. Um, so I'm, I grew up in a, a community on the south coast of England. Um, and it was a small island, it's 70 miles in circumference. You know, it's, uh, you can ride your bike around it if you absolutely had to. Uh, it's home to about 200,000 people. And, you know, growing up there, you don't real, I didn't realize it is the epitome of a, uh, a thriving blue economy. I mean, it's got, um, you know, everything, work, rest and play is built around the ocean and the sea. Even now, what it does, it's actually an important part of the industrial supply chain for um, offshore wind across um, uh, the, the British Isles. So that's kind of where I like to see the comparison. It's, um, uh, New Orleans is a very similar thing. We're surrounded by water. We've got this amazing lake at our, at our doorstep. We've got these beautiful beaches uh, down to the south, and then we've got this amazing energy economy that the, the that we've built everything off that New Orleans is built upon. Um, whether it's trade from the very early days, and you know, into energy and oil and gas nowadays. So, yeah, I like to see. I can certainly draw some comparisons, um, even though this isn't certainly isn't a small village type mm-hmm. feel. Did you start the company on the Isle of Wight? Yes. So after. Spending a number of years with big companies uh, that you get to see a lot of exposure. So um, got to see a lot of different manufacturing facilities all around the world. We did start the company back in you know, the community that I grew up on, on the Isle of Wight. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the basic technology? Are you floating? Are you fixed? So um, my personal experience has been across all types of wind power. So... You could think of uh, the basic ingredients are the same. So you've basically got a lot of the turbine technology today is a three-blade rotor that's capturing uh, energy from the wind, essentially. And how you get that rotor, so you've got a jet, you've got a three blades that are attached to you know, a, a shaft and a gearbox and a generator, and they, they generate electricity. 
Um, so the varying degrees of how high that turbine is in the air would dictate, dictate how, what sort of tower, height, what sort of technology you use. And onshore wind is a very successful uh, energy generation resource here in the States. There's over 70,000 turbines that have been deployed, and there's a very healthy 14, 15 gigawatt per year um, installation um, forecast. So it's a really, really, it's a really, really good benchmark industry. Um, then you get into um, nearshore. You can, you know, some uh, uh, technology that it might be on a jacket. So whether it's a monopile or a three-legged kind of jacket. <coughs> and that's the sort of technology that you're seeing out on in the East Coast, uh, whether it's the, um, the Block Island, which was installed in 2015, um, or whether it's the, the more frequent, uh, the more recent um, large-scale deployment that's happening on the East Coast. And then floating, the next tier. So floating is another level of complexity and it involves a lot more structure. So now you've got a, you know, uh, a foundation, maybe the size of a football field with you know, between four to five, up to 10,000 tons of steel making up that structure um, that needs to be part of the whole system to get deployed. So the basic concept is the same between um, onshore and offshore and floating, um, but there's a lot more complexity as you go further and further offshore and you have more and more ingredients into the mix. And those are all things that you all <coughs> are focused on in the process of developing? Yeah, I think, well... Um, golf and technology are really a team that devote themselves to solving problems. So we, we want to know what the problems are, are with the industry today. And we want to solve those effectively so that we actually continue to keep the cost of energy low. So we want to basically apply engineers and experience to solving problems of today. The more we know about the problems of today and the trajectory that's got us to today, means that we can design things and system designs and turbine technology for the future. So really that's that's kind of what we're interested in is what, what's going on. We want to monitor what's happening today. Um, we do that with a, a variety of technologies that have been introduced into onshore and offshore um, systems. And we want to basically make sure that anything that's um, coming together for future state deployment has a smart approach, you know, that has the right... Uh, whether it's the right workforce, infrastructure, um, you know, designs, you know, like a manufacturing-led design, that you've got the right product chosen, um, you've got the right technology suite applied to it, and that it's done all around a price point. As we know, energy, if you're producing energy, the most important thing is that end users, you know, get the price of power that they expect. And that drives almost all decisions in wind essentially, which is the cost of energy. Um, you, won't, you can't put technology that isn't economic into a system. So that's one of the biggest challenges in the industry today. Um, whether it's the price increases of commodity materials um, that need to, you know, you need to put in um, solutions or learnings to actually you know, mitigate the price increases to end customers or whether it's just about getting more effective at the way you capture um, um, energy from the, from the wind. So, you know, more and more advanced aerodynamics, um, ways that you don't damage structures in hurricanes, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Mm -hmm. um, these events that can cause a lot of damage, um, you know, they go into the price of energy. 
Mm -hmm. So putting tech in to mitigate against that is going to be really important. What are some examples that you consider sort of the problems of today? I think well, there's probably a broad spectrum of, of challenges. So there's the, the macroeconomic challenges of, of deployment and how to get the volume that there's going to be demand for. So that's, you know, let's say one of those problems is do we have enough uh, manufacturing infrastructure, enough handling and staging infrastructure, enough deployment infrastructure? Um, I guess the best analogy is that you could have um, all the turbines in the world, if you don't have the, the vessels, the cranes, the workforce to deploy those assets safely in the right place, you're going to have a bottleneck. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's one of the problems. Um, and you've got to keep all the, you know, you've got to keep monitoring all of those aspects of the supply chain. Are we constrained by materials? Are we constrained by technology? Are we constrained by price point? You know, are we constrained by workforce and I think having an understanding of a quantitative understanding of where we are today region by region is important and then putting in systems and, and behaviors and um, to solve that problem by the time the market comes to life mm -hmm. so something in our region that's going to be that's a really interesting area is you know when is the you know the when is the market in, for offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico going to launch? It's a question I get asked a lot. Um, you know, is it that, is it that there's uh, at the moment it will be hard to choose a, a perfect product for the Gulf of Mexico? Okay, so it's it's light wind, so it's probably some of the it's much lighter wind in the Gulf than it is on the east coast or the west coast. So therefore, you know, you've got to choose or have the right product available to be able to purchase. Um, once you've got that right vehicle, then you come into, well, hang on a minute, it's, uh, we've got how many named storms come through a season. So if we're going to uh, look after our assets, warranty our assets, validate our assets are going to be there in the years to come, we need to test um, that they're strong enough, that there's enough um, system design that they can be resilient to a hurricane. And the best way to uh, think about it is that a turbine likes to have power, so it generates power, but if it doesn't have, if, it, if the grid dropped off, if it lost power, it's going to be much more exposed in a big storm, basically. So in the same way that if you're in a boat, a motorboat or a sailing boat, and a big weather system comes in, you want to be pointing towards that storm. If you go side on, you're much more likely going to have a problem, and it's exactly the same with turbines. So there are concepts, there's ideas to have battery backup, um, you know, uh, powered backup from uh, a fossil fuel generator, perhaps that's already out in the Gulf, but some way that you keep that turbine safe, you know, if it can't actually have grid connection. Just one of the, an example of a problem statement. What happens with a turbine out in the middle of the Gulf when a Cat 5 hurricane is coming at it. What, what can you do? So it's a good point. And um, <clears throat> it's something that certainly we could model. You know, you can model based on engineering numbers and you can have a hypothesis or an idea or a suggestion on what might happen. Uh, you can even look at similar case studies. You know, we, there is uh, documented evidence that, um, that certain turbine sites onshore have had Cat 1, Cat 2, hurricanes go over them. You know, there's data to show that. And you've got a variety of um, 
success factors there. You know, like, uh, you know, I know that my team in the past would design a blade to withstand a 200 mile per hour gust. You know, it's basically, you're bending this giant blade that's the length of a football field, like a fishing rod. It's amazing to see, but you're putting all that energy into it. Um, but a hurricane, as you well know, is turbulent wind, there's a lot of unknown. And, you know, we won't really know until we've tried it. Okay. You know, and, and I think that you're seeing a lot of um, really exciting tech out there in the industry today. Um, but there is a big problem statement there. I think that's quite exciting. I think that there's um, standards to be developed, there's tests to be developed, there's examples and demonstration vehicles to be deployed. It's going to be, ultimately, it's the, the multi-million dollar question, you can say. Uh, but it is possible. From an individual component standpoint, it's possible. From a system design, I think there's a, a way to go before we really de-risked uh, anything that might go in, in, a, in a zone like the Gulf. So it sounds like you're saying we still have a lot to learn, and that's part of the process in terms of answering that question of when will we have wide-scale scaling deployment of wind in the Gulf? It, it, I think it's one of the, one of the approaches, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, you could go with statistics. You know, I think there's a, there's a number of conceptual approaches you can take to hurricanes. Um, do you over-engineer? If you over-engineer something, it's going to cost more. Um, if you, and that, you know, you have higher safety factors. Or do you put a standard product in there? Um, there are turbines out there from some really high quality uh, manufacturers that have been Typhoon certified. So the Typhoon is, you know, it's a few miles per hour short of a hurricane, you know, 20 or so, but the technology and the testing is getting there. Mm-hmm. It is moving in the right direction. Um, but, but ultimately, there's, uh, you've got to de-risk it. Someone is making a decision to put billions of dollars of resources in a particular area. Um, you're going to want to have models, you know, all the latest uh, technology. You've got to look after the people that service it. Uh, something that the ports here in Louisiana are very effective at is how to have uh, ride-out crews, how to make ports secure when a when a big storm comes in. Mm-hmm. And all of those lessons learned need to be applied to the offshore wind industry in the Gulf. So it's it's I think it's not an unsolvable problem. It just needs some some time and the right people focusing on it. In this region <clears throat> on the Gulf, is that the key driving design? condition that you're solving for or is there another key design factor that that you need to plan for i think it's the combination of low wind speed and high peak wind event so it's almost like the perfect storm problem statement for an engineering team you've got to have a if you take it back to sailing you've got to be you got to have a small sail and a big sail all in the same design and that's really interesting so there's some you know, watch this space there. I think there's some really good conceptual designs out there from the current big players in wind and the national labs, but there's there's really some open space for innovation and that's really what gets our gets my team really excited is the innovation potential and the problem solving potential that this industry uh, puts on the table essentially. So at Deep Blue, we're particularly interested in innovation ecosystems. Yeah. And I know you, from what you're talking about, you have a good understanding of that. So some of that ecosystem that, that you're working in and are 
sound, it's very much sort of a team approach to all these different industries that need to work together. Can you talk a little bit about that ecosystem? Sure. Well, we'll start um, <clears throat> close to homes. So there's a fantastic um, uh, community of experts in the region. And I'll start, you know, with the likes of, let's start with the state. So Louisiana, um, through their own economic development programs, there's a lot of um, uh, historical expertise there on how they've stimulated innovation in, in Louisiana. Grace and Yorton's Inc., GNO Inc., um, and GNO Wind, you know, is a really um, good example of pulling a, a number of stakeholders together. Um, you've got Tulane University with the Tulane Energy Institute, great, um, fantastic um, skill center that's emerging there. Um, Louisiana Wind Hub at UNO is also fantastic. Uh, then you've got Delgado, which is um, uh, right next near here at Avondale, actually. There's uh, a fantastic center of excellence that's come together for oil and gas. And they're looking to get into looking at how to transpose their, all of their skills into wind. And then Nunez has uh, recently uh, announced a big um, uh, wind energy partnership. So, and I'm sure I've missed some off, but uh, I guess the general essence is that you've got this great community of already established institutions that have been in uh, the energy business, albeit through oil and gas for a, for a while, and starting to listen, work with companies like Goldwind Technology to, to listen to what needs to happen to make this market ready for launch, um, you know, if, if these problems are solved at the end of the decade. And then something I know we were talking about earlier, but the workforce of tomorrow. We're really proud to be working with Jefferson Parish Schools here on the um, right near the Avondale uh, Tea Park Post shipyard. And um, these are K through 12, you know, kids that um, want to get their first you know, engagement in engineering and technology and renewables. And, you know, partnering up to help them with the STEM programs, the STEM clubs, um, you know, having a, a mentor in those early stages of working out what they want to work in, whether it's going into an apprenticeship with companies in the energy industry, uh, or whether it's going on to one of the colleges, the aforementioned colleges, or indeed going on and choosing the right uh, path that works for them in the university space. And then knowing that there's something back here in Louisiana, in, you know, even in New Orleans and the Grace New Orleans region, where you've got this kind of technology, um, energy, you know, sustainable infrastructure built around the blue economy, which is all about what we're all about here. Mm -hmm. so. We're doing similar with Patrick Taylor, actually. We've got a signed STEM, you know, a STEM partnership with the superintendent. That's a high school? Yeah, it's a no. magnet school for Jefferson Parish. And is, it a, is that a priority you took on yourself or something yeah. you were encouraged to do? Or? Yeah, it's uh, something that, <clears throat> you know, I mean, we, we're, a, we're a small technology company and we've all got, you know, what got us into what we're doing. With me personally, it was uh, having an engineering mentor. I was in a school at 13 years old and you get a, you know, a, a dynamic technology teacher that sit, brings in an engineer with a local company and you learn about Engineering. Otherwise, how how does a kid know what engineering is or Absolutely. manufacturing is? So I don't know. It's been it's worked well. We found that the teams the team enjoys going and mentoring. Like it brings out the best in engineers, I believe. And then you get this real enthusiasm that we've got a. If this is an industry that's going to kickstart in 2027, 2028, you know, it's the kids who are in the schools now that are going to be the workers of tomorrow.
it's very important that industry throws in at every level, whether you're a small company or a big company. And they, and they do. There's a great track record of um, companies in Louisiana, in the New Orleans region, putting back into schools and colleges. So the fact that we're here and we're so close to Delgado, Patrick Taylor, we've got JEDCO and GNO Inc. and Louisiana, you know, there's, it's all geared around knowledge sharing, actually, which is pretty good. Um, so, yeah, we, we're leaning into that as well. What does that mean? It's all geared around knowledge sharing. Uh, well, I guess the, you know, oh, yeah. So a great uh, initiative that's been started recently is GNO Wind. Okay, so GNO Wind is um, a GNO Inc. Um, uh, company, let's say. And they've brought a, they've seen it as their responsibility and they've done a very good job of pulling together stakeholders in the wind industry. And sharing information about what's coming on, whether it's the, the market trajectory, whether it's the funding opportunities, whether it's the, um, the transition potential that um, companies that in the current, in current industries have in renewables. So, you know, something that um, Gulf Wind care about, we've been in the industry, we've supported its growth in onshore wind, in global market development. Um, and now we're trying to foster a market closer to home. So, you know, how can we apply what we've learned about the industry to make sure that our home, you know, is more effective? So the knowledge sharing aspect is very important. So we're not, so each company isn't, you know, starting from scratch or rewriting something that's already been written. Um, a great example that someone gave me um, was uh, the oil and gas industry really benefited from the investment in the space program, you know, back in the, the 60s. So all of that um, scientific discovery, technology development um, that brought, I think it was over 100,000 people together around a common goal, you know, of, of, of having, uh, getting technology and, and humans to the moon. Um, the oil and gas industry benefited greatly from that, whether it was technology, whether it was skilled workforce. My father was in the oil and gas industry in the UK, and he would tell stories about being in the North Sea oil and gas um, you know, industry and having the Americans, the big American companies come over and you know, teach you know, the, this, this smaller market um, you know, ways and methods of being more efficient, more technology. And so it's a, you know, I think that, that appropriate transposing, you know, transposing knowledge and technology to grow markets and grow industries is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what the emerging renewable industry has the potential of doing is benefiting from all of that expertise in oil and gas, in the energy addition, you know, which we're talking about. It's not the... Um, it's important to know that you know the energy, the demand for energy is, as you well know, it's a huge exponential increase in the demand for energy. It's going to take a variety of energy sources to make that successful. Um, renewables have a number of problem statements that there lots of companies and individuals are looking to address. Um, you know, stability. You know, you've got a very you know if it's if you've got lots of wind power, you're um, very much dependent on if it's windy, if it's solar, you know, sunny, etc. So, grid balancing, um, you know, how renewables work together in a 
microgrid or sort of system design. And oil and gas have a very important part to play in that as well. So I think that's that's kind of where I was going with the knowledge sharing is that mm-hmm. it is, um, you know, assume, you know, we shouldn't assume that uh, renewables has to start afresh. There's lots of experience in it, but it can always benefit from uh, industrial uh, expertise in other, you know, energy industries transposed into renewables. Mm-hmm. So, how do you see the evolving relationship between the different energy systems in the region and their potential for integration? Yeah, I think the. I mean, if I'm, my my prior life, you know, the company I worked for, it was a, uh, and uh, you know, it would provide. Um, energy generation capacity to whatever was the most efficient solution. So if it was a gas turbine or a wind turbine or, you know, whether you know, there was a problem statement of storage or grid. And I think for energy um, to be successful, for energy um, sources to be successful, it's got to be showing you know, the right technology in the right place. Um, so I think that sort of system design approach is is pretty important. And I think it's going to be something that is going to be emerging in our region, in the Louisiana and the Gulf Coast region over time. You know, it's going to be, um, you know, what are the solutions for um, carbon sequestration and what are we going to do for energy storage? You know, is it going to be batteries? Is it going to be pump storage? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be um, uh, curtailing certain power sources? Is it going to be hydrogen, you know, putting hydrogen to pipes? hydrogen into tanks. I think all of these things are, are need to be modelled and demonstrated and then essentially scaled at the end of it. So great, it's going to be a great decade ahead. Sure. So it sounds like you don't really see any hard lines between all, all those different activities and endeavours and industries. It, you, it, it sounds like you see it all as, as a pretty tight ecosystem. Uh, yeah, that, that's very fair to say. Yeah, I think it's got to be looked at in a holistic nature. Um, you know, there shouldn't be, it's, no, it's go, always going to be, in my opinion, more efficient that way. The right decisions are going to be made. And I think that's the, you know, so having um, groups, consortias come together in a boundaryless way, without being too cliche, but a way that you can yeah. put the, um, the, the demand on the table or the problem statement on the table and having each industry, each um, technical expert, you know, um, apply their knowledge and expertise to the mix to then put the right plan together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, you know, having the right strategic plan for the country, for the region, um, having the right energy mix, um, solving the right technology problems um, concurrently with along that plan. There's no point having a plan relying on something that, that needs to be solved without resourcing it and having people working on it. Um, yeah, it's a, lots of things have to happen concurrently for this to be successful. As it may relate to legacy industries and these new industries that are emerging and the rapid scaling that needs to happen, do you see that as a pretty convivial space? I think, um, I mean, it's, again, this isn't, um, there's my personal opinion on things and where we're focusing is golf wind technology, but um, there's always competition, you know, I think, but ultimately, um, you usually start with what's the demands of the offtake. So, you know, something like, I think there's a, some really great work going on with Entergy, you know, in our region to make sure that they're getting all the data and pulling together, you know, making sure that it's certainly from a, a gr- supplying the grid perspective is might be a very different series of discussions versus 
um, supplying hydrogen for a particular industry. So I think, you know, in the world that I'm involved with, which is turbines, you know, wind turbines, um, understanding the economics and the, um, the opportunities that wind has for either supplying the grid or supplying hydrogen or the, the right placement for turbines or the right suite of technologies for the turbines, I don't think that's going to cause any uh, ripples. You know, I think it's not going to. I don't think there's going to be any um, conflicting interests with that. I think everybody wants to see technologies become more efficient, um, more affordable, uh, lower risk. And I think you know, as long as though, so in those terms, I think it can all be working pretty clear harmony. As a global leader in this space, you must have been courted by a lot of different areas of the world or the United States to to move your company to those locations. How did you arrive in Louisiana? Back in 2010, when we got to the point of the business that I was then um, involved with, we really wanted to get that balance of um, infrastructure, workforce, and a supporting um, uh, could say um, state that we wanted to go to and at that time it was actually you know with offshore wind blades you need a lot of real estate and it needs to be next to the water so you know we realized pretty quickly that when something's next to the water it might be full of expensive condos you know it might be actually quite hard to get the real estate you need we looked at different states all over the US and without naming them all, when we met the Louisiana, Louisiana State and actually GNO Inc. at the time, and we were made aware of the NASA Mishu in New Orleans East complex, amazing facility, amazing track record of actually the Higgins boats with aircraft, with uh, the Saturn V rocket, with the um, external tank. It was... Um, very, very clear that there was a turnkey manufacturing and technology infrastructure um, that we hadn't seen anywhere else in the world. So that having that was a huge step for our company. And moving over to Louisiana and having the support of the state and the region and a willing workforce that had worked on big technical structures before that could arrive, you know, literally out of the gate, you know, getting involved with technology and manufacturing was a real asset. Um, it's something we're doing again. I think we, we're still massively supportive of the work that's going on in NASA. We're now working at the Avondale Shipyard, where we are now. Um, again, an absolute powerhouse of a, of a manufacturing infrastructure, you know, from 26,000 people employed here back in the heyday. Some of the largest vessels uh, for the Navy were actually manufactured out of here and it's you know there's a really a lot of support for this infrastructure to be leveraged for the offshore and onshore wind industry both part of the supply chain today uh, T Parker host have already had big barges ocean going barges packed with blades with turbine components uh, arriving at the dock swinging around with those giant 300 ton cranes you can see in the background um, but making light work of it, and I think that's the key thing, is that we've, we've planted a flag on somewhere that we know has the, um, the foundations of and you know, has the capability to do what we need to do in the future. So we're making a long-term play here. You know, we're, we're really trying to build a team, build an infrastructure, build a community, build partners around bringing this industry forward um, in our region but 
doing it by supporting the growth of other regions that are already in the renewable energy business. You know, um, part of the 70,000 turbines that are onshore wind today, part of that um, the emerging industry that's going on in the East Coast, and obviously the leasing rounds that are just going on in California as we, as we talk today. Um, you know, it's big business. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the other thing we're excited about is this sort of changing paradigm of energy. You know, we want to get into this limitless energy. You know, we think um, renewables has a big part to play and what Avondale can do to support um, getting the volume of turbines that are needed to the table is quite important. So when you all were working at the NASA facility, what was that? What was it like working with NASA? Was there some clear benefits <clears throat> of having the NASA team nearby? Absolutely. I mean, the, Na- the NASA facility... Um, for those that don't know about it, um, has a, I'll start with the infrastructure and then I'll go on to the other benefits. But again, if you if this this site uh, has been used to handling, moving, transporting giant structures, and um, that's very very important when you're in the wind turbine blade business because a blade is the size of a you know, it used to be the size of a swimming pool. Now it's the size of a football field, and it's difficult to handle. So, um, the team at NASA were not phased by us saying we wanted to build and move and test these giant structures. That was quite novel in its own right. Um, and then you've got the rocket scientists, the expertise, the people that you sat down to, you know, next to at lunchtime that. You're talking about a finite element analysis model in engineering or aerodynamics or a new material, and they can relate to it. They're like, oh, you know, wind's good, but it's not rocket science. Like said, but it's a, they are, they're a friendly bunch. They're engaging. And, you know, we actually had uh, employees that had made, you know, parts for Boeing or, you know, components that had gone onto a NASA rocket that could either support us or put infrastructure in front of us for us to be successful. Mm-hmm. So it was a great, it was a, it was a, it was a good fit. It was something novel. I think something that was driven by Louisiana State. It was a very, you know, and supported by the federal uh, government. And uh, it's still a very strong asset today in our community in New Orleans. So big supporter of that. Were you able to benefit from their computing power and the modeling? That they yeah, made? it's a really good point as well. So there's uh, these giant banks of computer that were up in uh, Langley, you know, at the NASA space there. So when you're designing a new structural design for a wind turbine blade, you quite often have to run these very complex equations. And those equations might take multiple days, maybe even a week to run. You know, there's a lot of equations. Um, so leveraging that, actually... Um, Again, someone we met at NASA, and we had the ability to run these giant equations on these NASA computers. And you could take something that might take a week and do it overnight. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's a big difference when you're trying to get innovation to product fast. You mm-hmm. know, when you're really trying to um, generate novel solutions and then make sure that you um, iterating, developing, and getting it through to something that can be commercialized. So it sounds like you're, in addition to finding talented people here that are either from here or moved here, you're also directly recruiting people from all over the world or the country to come work at Gulfwind? That's correct, yeah. We've got, um, and Gulfwind, because we've been, a lot of our team, myself included, we've worked all over the world. We've got partners and all over the world. So that's very important to us. Our customers are global. Our partners are global. 
Um, but this is the mothership. You know, this is where golf and technology is, is you know, founded, is going to keep its roots. Do you feel like in Louisiana and on the Gulf Coast are all the elements that we need to move forward at pace? Are they in place or is there anything that we need to develop more or put in place? I think there's, um, my opinion on that is there's some really great work going on at the moment um, by uh, the policy teams from, um, uh, for example, the work that uh, Representative Odron is doing down in, uh, and the team down in um, a lot of the Port Fouchon, a lot of the, there's a lot of great work going on to get ready. And there may even be a scenario, and I think this is where we've been talking about federal water start point, but there's a really interesting aspect for state waters. And I know there's a lot of uh, interest and there's a lot of work going on in that state water spectrum. And you may even see, you know, what golf wind technology, what I guess our belief is, is that there's an opportunity to put um, turbines in. There's nothing constraining putting a demonstration turbine in much, much earlier in 2028. So what we really want to achieve is um, breaking some of the chains a little bit and doing a demonstration turbine. And I think what you will probably see um, uh, over time are plans for more um, onshore or nearshore or state plans that might come together um, to do something to, to, to answer your question to showcase that Louisiana has got a lot of ducks in the road. Could you talk a little bit about how this may relate to Louisiana being a green hydrogen hub? Yeah, so, <clears throat> and again, there's, some, there's a fantastic program that was um, uh, led by um, GNO Inc. Uh, called uh, H to the Future, and that is a program that is really designed to demystify and answer that question probably much, much better than I can now. Um, but the, the aim of a green hydrogen program is that you need to have a renewable energy source to actually crack or create the hydrogen. Um, otherwise, it's a hydrogen that's on any other color on the spectrum, of which I don't ask me to name, but you've got everything from you know, green to gray to pink to, and beyond. Um, but green hydrogen needs a, a renewable energy source to run the um, uh, uh, electrolyzer to create the hydrogen. And uh, I think there's a lot of, my personal opinion is there's a lot of, lot of potential for that in, in our region um, because of the demand profile for hydrogen, industrial corridor um, leverages a huge amount of hydrogen. Uh, the infrastructure is there, the pipeline is there. It's not, uh, it's something that everyone is very familiar with, the industrial um, uh, companies are very familiar with. So it's really got a lot of potential. Uh, quite excited about it and um, again if we're the point source extraction specialists if we're solving the problems for the turbines um, programs such as that H to the future are going to solve and demonstrate some of the other parts of the equation so it's going to be really exciting. What about the startup space are you seeing startups wanting to move <coughs> here or are they are they aware of and attracted by the things that you're talking about? St startups are as, as you well know, it's extremely difficult. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, um, it's not easy to move, um, you know, to, to generate an environment that is really supportive for startups. New Orleans is doing a fantastic job at um, pulling together parts of the equation. And um, in a number of other industries, and I, and I can't comment, so you see 
the startup space thriving in in huge areas of the of other and it's fantastic to see i think applying those lessons learned applying that enthusiasm the horsepower the the funding vehicles the, the to this space first off it's about advertising the problem statements and, I, and that's why i'm really enjoying talking to you greg because you know getting those problem statements out there knowing where the niche spaces are knowing where the um, where the entrepreneurs can focus where they you know technology industries can start to shed a lens and that's it's going to come it's going to come and i believe that we've got a fancy you know we've got this great incubator in this city in this state we um specifically to offshore wind and wind energy i think it's a there's a few early adopters, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, there, I'm aware of industries that are diversifying as opposed to maybe new startups. And if you think about what that means, it's a startup within a corporation. So that, that needs the same attitude. You still need um, the kind of, you need that messaging to be clear, to get the big industries treating it seriously. And you need those entrepreneurs drawing themselves to New Orleans to get engaged. And I think through through your messaging, Greg, this is a very important part of it. I think getting out there and sharing um, that this is a friendly, this this community is very supportive of um, you know technology firms, of startup firms. That there are these um, uh, centres where you can go and hot desk, or you know you can have a pretty low burn rate with your early early stage capital to get things moving. Mm-hmm. I think that's. Very important. We need to see more and more of it in the renewable energy space, for sure. Um, but I think it's coming. At Deep Blue, we're very interested in the conversation around a climate tech incubator yeah. accelerator. Something that we, we believe in here at Goldwyn Technology is that um, you do need those um, incubator spaces. So, um, for example, we're, we're going, you know, the space that you're in here now at Avondale, this is a fantastic space to collaborate and put, um, build large assets, technology, showcase things. You've got the beach at UNO, you know, again, that is centered around um, innovation space and startup friendly space in the renewable energy industry. And Rebecca Conwell and the team, Shafin Khan, are doing a fantastic job at, at, at making sure that space is available and, um, you know, linking it in with the universities. Here at Golfwind, we work, again, working with those universities, those colleges, makes your dollars go further. You know, you can get a bigger team at the table if you lean into those relationships. Um, we're doing the same with Tulane Energy Institute. We're, you know, having, uh, setting a project, being part of their project and having that horsepower arrive. That's how you turn one to many in a startup environment. So I can, you know, show there are environments in in and around that we can lean into and you know going to led going to gno inc going to the beach you know uh wind hub you know these are all places that you could get advice about you know the, of how to get this moving well james thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us at the blue economy primer it certainly sounds like all the right pieces are in place to imagine a new orleans-based climate tech unicorn in our near future congratulations on all the great work that you're doing There are a million other things that I would love to discuss with you, but we'll leave it there for now and look forward to the chance to have you back to discuss everything that you and Gulfwind have in the works. Thank you very much, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we look forward to supporting another one in the future. Thank you for joining us for the Blue Economy Primer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the like button. 
and be sure to visit our website at www.deepblue.academy, where you can access important links and supporting information about today's podcast, send us your comments and or suggestions for potential guests and topics, get more information about our education and training programs, and join our mailing list, as well as make a much appreciated tax-deductible donation to support our nonprofit education and research initiatives. Thanks again to the Dan Lucas Memorial Foundation and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for their critical financial and institutional support. Until next time, when we meet again on the ever-expanding horizons of the blue economy.